the Stephen Perkins Podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins. This is my podcast. Uh, and this has been quite a week. Um, if, if you missed it, uh, we made some announcements here at Outset about the future uh, of our publication. Um, and it's been a whirlwind of emotion, as they say. Uh, I do have an interview this week on my show with Jake Grant. But first, I want to talk a bit uh, about the announcement that we made and uh, per- perhaps give some extended thoughts on it uh, before I write an article later this month. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, on Wednesday, uh, we announced that Outset would be closing uh, its doors after four years, uh, almost exactly four years, um, of, uh, of being around uh, within the conservative media sphere. Um, our last day of operation will be July 30th. Um, so just, you know, nine days from now, if you're listening on um, the Saturday, the show came out and I, I've had a lot of folks asking uh, how I feel uh, about this uh, since, you know, this was something that I started. I, I've often referred to it as my baby. Um, and, you know, the, the simple answer to it is it's a bittersweet moment. Uh, I, it, it's obviously bitter because we put so much work into it. Um, and it's unfortunate that we're now at a point where we're going to be closing down. Um, and, and I haven't gotten into the specifics of it. And, and, and I don't think I will uh, until my last article um, where I offer up some thoughts uh, in, our, in our final day. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's the bitter part. Obviously, it, it is closing a chapter that has been near and dear uh, to my heart. The sweet part of it um, is just the thankfulness that I felt uh, this past week as I've seen messages come in from people who are either current contributors or have been contributors or supporters in the past, or even just those of you who have uh, read our articles and listened to our podcast and watched our videos. Um, the support that has been coming in it really just reminds me of how incredible people are within our, our movement. Um, I, I think it's easy to, um, to to kind of form divisions within the young conservative movement. Um, and we often see this on Twitter. Uh, young conservatives are getting into fights with each other. Um, I will say that that outset from the very beginning was started as a way to cut through the noise, um, introduce our audience to some emerging conservative voices, which we did, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, we have had an incredible team of people uh, over the past four years. Many of them have gone off um, and they now work in, in very, uh, very just amazing um, organizations and professions, and, and they're just doing incredibly well, uh, both within and with both within and, and outside of the movement. Um, but, you know, we were started as trying to be this new independent voice for young conservatives, one uh, that would talk about the things going on in our country and our world um, and, and, you know, within our movement um, in a way that was different from what we had previously seen. Uh, when I started outset, I, I, I think the, the big 
young conservative publication was the young conservatives and um they were kind of, I, I mean i don't want to speak ill but they were kind of my anti-example of what i did not want outset to be uh, we were not going to be sensationalist uh, we were not going to demonize people on the other side uh, we were not going to um, have blind uh, uh, loyalty to a party or an ideology uh, instead we were going to be folks who said what we believed um, not because of any pressures from any direction to, to believe those things or say those things but because that's truly what we believed um, we were going to be a publication that brought the different sides together whether you are a moderate or a libertarian uh, we were looking for the solutions and the compromises and the things uh, that we could accomplish together and I've got to be really honest with you um, we did that we did that we may not have completed the mission and we're not we're not shutting down because you know we think that oh everything's great now and, and we've kind of completed our mission we, we, we didn't um, but we came pretty damn close and I want to perhaps boldly submit that because of the contributors that we had come through our network um, the conservative movement is in a better place and I know that that is challenging to accept with today's political climate uh, but I truly think that conservatives our age um, are better equipped to lead into the future, despite uh, the climate of the moment. I really believe that the people, especially the people who came through our team, uh, are really going to, to make things better into the future. And they are going to restore our movement into something that we can be proud of. And uh, I'm not going to go too long about this. I've already gone about five minutes on it. But I just want to say one message before we get into the, the interview this week. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll, after this, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the future of my show. Um, my message is, is thank you. Uh, thank you for, for listening, for reading, for supporting us. Um, thank you for your messages and your thoughts and your well wishes. Um, uh, I am okay. And I think others on the team are okay. Um, but it is always wonderful to hear from people who appreciated your work. And so this is not me asking um, for, for praise. But please, if, if you know someone who was an outset contributor or a leader within our organization um, and, 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 and you thought that they did a good job, please tell them. Uh, because I want them to know that their work mattered. Uh, I have told them that. I, I hope they believe it. Um, I believe our work mattered and it mattered because of people like you who supported us. Now, the future of this show, uh, obviously I haven't done one in a while and, and I've kind of, um, as we've been kind of gearing, uh, toward this decision, um, I, I've had a lot of, uh, I've been hesitant to hop on the microphone and talk to you all. Uh, I hope that's understandable. Uh, I, I will continue this show in some form or fashion. Uh, it may not be interviews. It may not be my sh just kind of, you know, straight commentary, uh, because I don't know if that's very interesting to many people. Uh, but this show will continue in some form or fashion. Uh, I will have an announcement about that 
uh, hopefully within the next couple of weeks about the direction and where we're going to be hosted uh, after after the 30th. Um, but again, thank you so much uh, for listening and especially for listening to this, my last episode, uh, my last interview episode on Outset Network. This week, I'm talking with Jake Grant, who is at the Jake Grant on Twitter. Very official. Please don't confuse him with any other Jake Grant. He is the Jake Grant. Uh, he is a Young Voices advocate. You've heard many of them on the show. And I, I like bringing them back because they're just brilliant people. Um, this week, we talk about the war on drugs and specifically an article that he has out linked in the show description. So please give it a read because it's just awesome. It's on fee.org, which is one of my favorite uh, publications for libertarian thought. Uh, so we talk about the drug war. How, how did it happen? What what kind of had it swell? Why has it failed? What is the government doing wrong? What could the government be doing right? We get into all of it because that's the kind of show we are. We should have been called the 360 report. But that sounds very Stephen Colbert, Bill O'Reilly. So uh, sit back, relax. And for the last time on the Outset Network, whew, choke back the tears. Enjoy this interview with Jake Grant. Jake, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing very well. Uh, excited to have you on. Uh, truth be told, it's been a while since I I've done an interview again. So um, I guess I should preface this whole thing by saying, excuse if I'm a bit rusty, but uh, you have an article out on fee.org um, about mm -hmm. the war on drugs. Um, and, and it's a fascinating one. And, and as I was sharing with you before we started, fee is kind of one of the um, one of the first places I go to when I'm trying to to see what uh, what a free market response is to the issues of the day. And I, I think your article does exactly that. So I, I want to chat a, about that here in a bit. But I want to start by just introducing folks to you um, and get some about your background. So mm -hmm. I always like to start very early in one's life. Where were you raised um, and, and kind of how, you know, what was what was that like? What, what was a young uh, a young you like? Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm currently based out of D.C., but I moved here about two years ago. Uh, I was born and raised in Northern California, specifically the San Jose Bay Area, which is about an hour south of San Francisco. It's beautiful there. Um, it is so beautiful. And then, yeah, I ended up going to school uh, in San Diego for my undergrad. So I've been blessed with living in some of the most beautiful parts of the country. Um, but being raised, I was kind of from a, um, a political family that wasn't really super involved in politics. I think my parents voted in the presidential elections and that's about it. Um, so we didn't really talk about politics too much. Um, it was only in, uh, 2012 that I kind of was taking a, a, uh, a government civics class and started diving into politics and, and ended up loving it. Uh, so that's kind of where I started. Now, this is always um, something when people talk about how they first got involved. Um, I, I find that it's either an aha moment where someone reads something or they get involved in something and they just go, oh, that politics is something that I'm interested in. And, and for other mm -hmm. people, it's more of a gradual. They start learning. They start getting exposed to it. And that's how the interest builds for you. Which which of those would you say it was? 
it was definitely an, an aha moment. Um, so I, I actually have a funny story that I tell. Um, when I was in that government class that got me involved in politics, we kind of did this. Um, it was like a little survey that told you which uh, person you supported based on the issues. Hmm. And, and I think I was the only person in the class that liked Ron Paul. Um, <laughs> and so that that kind of took me down a rabbit hole of, you know, the Federal Reserve and, you know, our, our overseas endeavors. Um, you became an I extremist just, libertarian. That's to how say we the least. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, I watched him in the debates and I watched him talk about, you know, um, us overseas in the 90s. And, and I just really liked his message and thought he was great. And this was at the time when he was running for this for the second time or I guess it would be the third time in the 2012 election. Mm. Um, and so that's that's basically what took me down the rabbit hole. That's fascinating. I I first got exposed to Ron Paul in 2007 uh, when he was running, uh, you know, during the during the 08 election. Um, mm -hmm. And that was such an interesting election because you're talking about after the Bush presidency, the future of the Republican Party. And I've made parallels now of uh, of, you know, what what is the, the, the slate of candidate looks like look like after Trump has become pre after Trump has been president um, because you have the, the nominee that you end up being kind of a very neocon, you know, John McCain, uh, very Bush like. Um, but Ron Paul was the one that when I was watching the debates and, and I, I had no idea what I was what they were talking about because I was quite young. But mm -hmm. as I was watching the debates, he was the one that stood out because he was saying things that sounded conservative while everyone else for the most part was saying, were saying things that sounded like it, it, kind of a, a, a I, I guess a preview of what was to eventually come uh, that, that didn't sound very conservative liberty minded things like that so he really stuck out to me um, I, I ended up supporting as if, you know, I couldn't vote. So what did it matter? But I ended up supporting Bob Barr that year, who was the Libertarian nominee, um, uh -huh, former uh -huh. congressman from Georgia. Um, but I find for us more Libertarian folks, uh, when we first get involved, as you were saying, like getting into the Fed and all that stuff, uh, it's kind of like there's such a rabbit hole to go down. And so you get so sucked into it. And it's interesting um, where people go from there as they start to learn more and, and get exposed to more. Um, yeah. What, what, when, after you started getting interested in politics, what was the thing that motivated you to get involved in politics? So um, I, that was that government class that I talked about was my senior year. And then I was going to college that next year. And I was planning on studying psychology with absolutely no idea um, of any idea of what I was going to do with it. Um, but then after a little while, I, I um, decided to switch to a political science major and, and minor in um, economics mm. and kind of do what I was passionate about, still not really having any idea of what I was doing. Um, and so then I was, um, I think it was my sophomore year, I was approached by someone who had done a Facebook graph um, that had started a Young Americans for Liberty chapter uh, on our on our college campus, and they saw that I had liked Ron Paul and 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 the Fed on on Facebook, 
And so he asked if I was interested in starting this club. So uh, that was kind of my uh, debut into, you know, the the conservative libertarian student groups. And then from there, um, that gave me opportunities to come to D.C. and intern and meet people. Um, so I guess it was um, one person just kind of reaching out to me about starting this club. And you said your parents were not politically active or involved. And, and so you never kind of had that interest before college, essentially. No, it, it seemed almost like taboo to talk about politics. Um, like they uh, just I think in in the Bay Area and California in general, um, I, I would say my parents are like strict independents where they just vote for whoever they feel that they like. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, tied to any party at all. So, and in California, it seemed like most people were kind of rah-rah Democrat or rah-rah Republican. Um, so we didn't really talk much about it. And I mean, even to this day, even though I kind of work and, you know, live politics, we still don't even talk about it too much. Um, but yeah, I was never really exposed to it. Well, be, I, I don't think there's a lot of people who are raw, raw Republican in the Bay Area. If I had to guess, no. I, I would say no. That that's true. The uh, the regional party there is is not uh, not very strong. Um, so you went to college. You, you political science, economics. Um, I, I was political science, public relations, and and that was after like I went into journalism initially and decided oh, I I don't uh, want to be poor. So. Uh, I, I, should, I should go to the other liberal arts degree that still doesn't promise uh, that great of a salary. Um, but so you got involved in the chapter there. Um, was that the only political organization you were involved in or, or were there some other ones that you uh, uh, were a part of? So that was the uh, the only political one I was involved in. And then from there, um, I met a guy who referred me to an internship in DC. So um, over the summer between my uh, junior and senior year, I had the opportunity to come to DC and, and intern and I loved it out here. And after, you know, a couple months later, when I graduated, I uh, found a job and was able to move out here full time. Um, so Young Americans for Liberty kind of gave me that start and helped me um, meet the people that kind of pushed me in the direction of moving across the country and pursuing politics full time. Sure. Um, so we've talked about one of your influences being Ron Paul. Uh, and I, I think for any uh, libertarian minded person that would probably ring true. Um, what are other people or uh, books or, or just things that, that you would say influenced um, the ideology that, that you hold today? Yeah, so um, when I first got involved with, or interested, I should say, in politics, I I read uh, The Revolution by Ron Paul, which is basically his overview of all of his ideals and policy uh, ideas, um, and that is kind of what shaped my philosophy. So reading that book was like a, that was a big aha moment. Um but besides that, I'm kind of into the um, the Milton Friedmans and Murray Rothbards and Miseses of the world. Um, I think that they uh, have had a tremendous impact and are, um, you know, the some of the greatest thinkers of recent history. Sure. Um, and then the other question that I ask, uh, 
uh, is do, do you have kind of a, a mission that guides you or, or, or a why behind the work that you do? Um, I would just say I'm passionate about the issues. Um, I think that um, a lot of people are apolitical because, you know, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot to learn and it's really difficult to make a difference. Um, but I think once you learn about it and once you realize that you can make incremental differences, that um, it drives you. And so I would say that um, when it comes to issues, um, specifically like, you know, the war on drugs where there's a human cost, um, it really drives you to try to do whatever you can to, to help people. Sure. So let's talk about that issue, the war on drugs. The, the name of your uh, uh, article is The War on Drugs Has Failed. It's Time to Rethink Our Prison System. Um, which, you know, is just the sexiest issue nowadays. And so I'm excited that we're talking about it. Um, but it, it is an important issue, uh, whether it's the war on drugs, whether it's talking about opioids, uh, whether it's talking about criminal justice reform, all of these things are, are really important and, and, and are seeming to come on to, uh, I, I guess, the mainstream radar uh, much more these days, which I think is encouraging. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a brief background, and, and you talk about it in your article, can you give us a brief background on how did the war on drugs become the war on drugs? When did the government decide, you know what, we need to push back against it? And perhaps if you could even venture into why was that perhaps flawed? When did it become flawed? Kind of give us the, the overview of it. Yeah, so I think it was it was pretty flawed from the beginning. Um, so it was the the Nixon administration in the early 1970s that started this tough on crime policy, where if we lock up a bunch of people, uh, it will deter crime and uh, lower drug use. And I mean, from the very beginning, it turned out that that wasn't really uh, a viable solution. So more and more people over the years started getting locked up. I think since 1980, our prison population has skyrocketed something like 600%, but drug use has gone up. So it, it's proven that it doesn't stop crime and putting people away only um, once they're released increases recidivism, which means they go back to prison and um, often they're committing more crimes than than that are worse than the nonviolent drug crimes that they were initially arrested for. Yeah, I, I see it as a system of um, you know, drug addiction is a health issue, uh, but but we treat it as a crime issue, um, and 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 that does a couple of things. I mean, it certainly, like you said, forces these people back into using or, or back into what got them in trouble in the first place. Um, but, but when you treat it like that, you're not in any way trying to solve the problem. Right. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I think you just kind of magnify the problem and make it even bigger. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the problem is that the point of putting people in prison is to rehabilitate them so that they can, you know, become productive members of society. And when you put these barriers to entry on, getting back into the workforce and what they can do with their careers after, you know, they have a felony or even a misdemeanor sometimes on their record, mm -hmm. it makes the problem even worse. Why do you think this is, as I mentioned earlier, it's just really starting to, to find its way onto 
major media is now talking about this and, and people are, are becoming more active about it. Why now? What, what has happened that people are finally saying we should probably na- try to fix this? So I think one reason is that it's a bipartisan issue. I think uh, people on both that that identify as, you know, left leaning or right leaning, that something is broken here. Um, and it may be for different reasons and there may be, you know, different solutions. But I think um, in in they all agree that there's something going on that's wrong. And uh, I, in the article, I talk about the First Step Act, mm-hmm. which was just passed in the House by um, uh, a Democrat representative from New York and, and a Republican from Georgia who, you know, are polar opposites on most issues. But on this one, they agree that, you know, we need to help people rehabilitate into society. Uh, we need to give them the options to, you know, for job training and to help them once they are out of prison because, you know, we want them to succeed. Um, so I think it's just an issue that people can get behind, and um, there's not a lot of issues these days that are bipartisan, and um, there's ways to cut spending that uh, that both parties can agree on, and you know, there's a moral case for it as well. You also mentioned the Marijuana Justice Act of 17 that Senator Booker uh, introduced. Is that the one that, forgive my ignorance on this, is that the one that he uh, and Rand Paul were together on as well? Uh, I'm actually not sure if Rand Paul was a part of that. I know he's introduced it a few times, so uh, that might have been in previous Congresses, but I don't think that Rand Paul has sponsored it um, in this current Congress. Got it. I mean, you talk about it being a bipartisan issue. Certainly, you know, that is a duo that I, I think Booker and Paul have, have talked about criminal justice reform and, and, and drug reform uh, a lot. And so I, I, I agree. It, it seems like one of those refreshing areas where both sides can come together. Unfortunately, though, while it gets all this attention in the media or while it gets attention within political activist square circles, um, one of those shapes, uh, it, it doesn't it, I, I feel like there's not as much progress being made on actually passing bills and getting mm-hmm. them signed. I'm also not as deep into it as you are. Is are things getting passed? Like, what is the status of legislation uh, that's been introduced? Is it actually getting to the desk of the president? Yeah, not as often as I think most of us would like. Um, there, there's only so much time. So I think Congress is often fixated on other issues mm-hmm. that they feel are are more prominent. And I think there's also other interests that are tugging them in an opposite direction. Um, I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and say there's, you know, this problem and it's a moral issue, but there's a lot of people on the other side that that uh, benefit from these policies. So I think that's also tugging members in another direction, which makes it difficult to to pass this legislation um, and you know get these bills that are that are good reforms across the finish line. When you say that people have benefit from these policies, what, what do you mean by that? Um, so I would say that there's, you know, um, there's prison, like private prisons mm. that will that will lobby on these issues, saying that we need stronger laws to deter criminals when in reality they uh, they benefit from more people being locked up, um, as well as like prison guard um, unions. Mm. will often lobby on these issues uh, for, you know, the same reasons. 
So I think that um, we see it from one angle as like a human issue, but other people see it as an economic way to to make a living. Sure. Um, yeah, I, that that does make sense. And, and you know, I, I think we often don't think about that, and we we hear these issues that sound so easy, uh, and then you realize the lobby power behind. Uh, the other side of it, and uh, and that is a lot to take on if you don't have kind of a matching force. Do you do you know are are law enforcement officials? I mean, outside of prison guard unions or things like that, but do they support these reforms? Um, I would say it's mixed. I think um, some people have the mentality that. You know, drugs are bad. We need to lock people up. They're dangerous. But I think a lot of other people are seeing um, that the system is broken. Um, I, I think of um, uh, an organization called LEAP, uh, a law enforcement against um, uh, prohibition. Mm. So that's, that's what they stand for, law enforcement against prohibition. And and they see it from kind of my perspective that we're we're not doing any service to these people by locking them up and throwing away the key. And we need to do something to help people get better, whether that be not locking them up in the first place or rehabilitating them um, and getting them off drugs, uh, things like that, that will actually benefit them um, from a human aspect. I know you mentioned in your article some uh, some research from the Pew Center um, in, in an ideal world, what, what are some of the solutions that you tend to favor and that you think could, um, could really, you know, help solve this issue? Yeah, I think one thing from um, that most from kind of a libertarian leaning viewpoint of the world would be to uh, make it more of a state issue. Um, a lot of libertarians don't think that the federal government should be involved in many different policies, including, you know, drugs and um, these state and local issues. Mm-hmm. So I think letting the states kind of be um, the laboratories of democracy is often said, um, and, and finding ways that they can rehabilitate people. So I think of states like South Carolina that have implemented their own um, processes for what they do when people are released from prison and and it's worked well and it's deterred crime and it's lowered drug use and so i think that states could look to each other to find out what works for them and implement these policies and i think what they would do in the long run is realize that locking people up for nonviolent drug crimes is is not the way to deter crime or drug use We'll say in the meantime, one of the people who's probably the biggest uh, kind of people against this would be our attorney general, uh, who, mm-hmm. who famously has, has said that, that he does not believe in any kind of um, mercy for drug offenders or, or you know, the, the, just the belief that um, that drugs should not be in any way uh, permitted. And so um, certainly you know, taking that power away from the federal government or even just taking the decisions away from the federal federal government um, could certainly prove uh, very fruitful. So, yeah. And I, and if I could add, I yeah. think that it it shouldn't really matter people's views on drugs. I think that um, that's that's often an argument that, yeah, someone like Attorney General Sessions would say. But um, 
but they should be focusing on how to help people get off those those drugs and how to you know make them productive members of society as i've as i've said a few times and whether or not you agree with the drugs they use we we can all agree that locking them up doesn't solve the problem mm. so it should be focused on what to do after that uh, and and reducing the harm that these policies cause absolutely um and so again i encourage people to go read your article it's a fantastic one um, and, and it does, it gives some great ideas about what could work and, and, and of course mentions those pieces of legislation that you talked about there. Um, I want to get into some other questions, uh, unless let's take a, a moment. Has there anything that you've that we haven't mentioned, um, uh, about your article about the issue of, of, of drug rehabilitation or, or things like that, that, that you would like to make sure that we mention? Um, I think we kind of covered everything. Um, I guess, well, actually, (laughs) if there's one thing I can add one piece of, um, just a statistic that I think is, is very important that, uh, three out of four prisoners, uh, that are released are arrested for a new crime within five years. So I think that that just shows that when you got, when you kind of get swallowed up into the system, it's hard to break free of it. Um, so I think that goes back to my overall point of whatever you think about drugs, the way we're doing it isn't working. Sure. Um, appreciate that. So as we get into some of these kind of final questions, um, I'm always interested in with how quickly uh, news seems to break now. Um, with, with everything that goes on, it seems like all the coverage is about a tweet or the fact that the president didn't bow to the Queen of England. Uh, very important <laughs> issues. But uh, how, how do you kind of break through the noise and what is your media consumption diet? Um, is, is it primarily, do you have favorite outlets? Do you rely on social media feeds? Uh, how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's difficult. There, It is a very quick cycle. Um, I mean, I write a lot and it seems like every time i start writing something uh it becomes an issue that no one cares about by the time i'm finished Mm. uh but i'm yeah i often am on twitter just seeing what people are talking about um i tend to follow a lot of um reporters and people that write on on that outlet uh and they publish a lot of their stuff on there and then i like axios uh they give you kind of a good AM and PM breakdown of what happened, what's going to happen and what happened for the day. And they give alerts on certain things as well. Um, and then I, I really enjoy the American conservative, um, is a very good news source that does kind of longer form articles that are more, I would say a little more philosophical, um, but still tied into kind of the news cycle. So I kind of, you know, jump around from a lot of different, um, news outlets got it i i always just like watching my uh, my dad's facebook feed because just post you know it's on <laughs> facebook just post the most interesting information um so axios american conservative and then trying to navigate the, the social media feeds i like it um if you well let's go this one first a future issue right in the next 10 to 30 years, what do you imagine Imagine if you were kind of in a psychic role here uh, being some of the top issues or, or the top issue 
um, in the next 10 to 30 years? Um, I guess putting my libertarian hat back on, I would say the debt is a big one. Uh, that's kind of my focus, uh, as during, you know, for my day job is, um, focusing on the debt and national, national spending. Uh, so I think that's a big issue. Um, often libertarians are talking about the debt growing and growing and growing and people kind of play it off because, you know, we were sounding the alarms at $12 trillion and now it's at $21 trillion and, and nothing has happened. But I think eventually that bubble is going to burst. Uh, I don't think people really know when. I think there's some very, very smart people that have been wrong about when it will happen, but I think eventually it has to. Um, so I think that will be an issue and I think it could be tied to, you know, increasing entitlement spending with the baby boomers retiring. Um, Again, I don't really know when it'll happen, but I think it it has to happen at some point. And and, and hopefully the attention on it doesn't only begin, you know, by the point that we've reached crisis mode. Um, But unfortunately, I I think that that may be what ends up happening is people don't pay attention to it until uh, potentially it's too late in many regards. And that's what makes it hard with with politicians is that they kind of see, you know, the next two years or the next six years, if they're a senator, about getting elected and fixing these long term policies um, is doesn't really help them, especially when a big block of their voter base are these people that are getting benefits. Um, So I think until something happens, there there really is an incentive isn't an incentive for members of Congress to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And it's, it's, it, I don't have a solution for it either. And that's kind of the most frustrating thing is when you talk about these issues that don't receive as much attention, but uh, you could argue are more important. It's like we don't have a solution to, to that kind of nearsightedness that our politicians have. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even... I don't know. No one's really addressed that. And so uh, it does leave you wondering how you get those things uh, proactively taken care of before they do become a crisis. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So let's imagine that, you know, you had a Super Bowl commercial, you hijacked every billboard in the country. Um, What what is the one message that you would want to get out uh, to the world? Hmm, that's a loaded question. It's a fun one, right? Um, it is. Yeah, man. I I'm passionate about a lot of different things. <laughs> so, I, um, I guess going off the the um, the over criminalization issue, I think that just that we need to look at these individuals as in their in their completely human element, um, and just know that people are flawed and people make mistakes and. We often, you know, think of locking people up as, you know, they're they're drug offenders, blah blah blah. But really, they they made a mistake, and oftentimes they're misguided. And we need to find solutions that help them, not you know, put them in timeout. Mm. So I would just I would just try to tie the human element of these people that often um, gets ignored. Beautiful. Um, and I always like to end on this one, uh, and this is where I, I write down most of my notes from the episode because I, I always want to dive in. Um, we'll start with what is the one book 
that you would say has influenced you the most? Mm. Um, I, I already gave away The Revolution by Ron Paul, so mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll throw out another one. Um, one. One that I actually read relatively recently that made me think very deeply about, I've always been very obsessed with psychology, so I, I read Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. And, and I highly recommend that book for anyone. And it just it is a, a great read for anyone who um, just needs someone to kind of give them a little kick in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoy the way he writes and the stories that he tells. And he, I think he's just very passionate about helping people. And I think that book really helped me. And that was relatively recently. Very good. Uh, and then the other question, and this could be multiple books, but if, if you were giving uh, one to a friend or to a family member, if you're giving one, one away, uh, what would that book be? Or, or what would those books be? Hmm. Um, I've given away a, a, quite a few Ron Paul books, yeah. that's for sure. The um, His one on school policy I've given to a couple of teachers. Uh, and the Fed is uh, a great read for anyone who just doesn't really know much about America's banking system and the way we we treat money. Um, so I, I mean, I guess I've talked way too much about Ron Paul, but those are, I guess, my go-to books. We will send the episode to him. Uh, he will be very excited, and uh, you know, maybe we can arrange some sort of meet and greet for you. I don't know. Have you met hey, him? That would be great. Have, have I have. Met? I met him once, briefly. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get. I didn't get too many words, and I was a little bit starstruck. This I'm, was uh, a couple years ago. I, I would feel the same. He came to my my university, and uh-huh. I was one of the like six people who were picked to ask a question of him. Um, and, and so there I am standing there. He's up on stage, and I'm down at the microphone. And I just said, "Well, first of all, I want to thank you for you know." sparking my interest in politics and uh i don't even remember what my question was but i just kind of stuttered my way through it because yeah it's like this is a it's a cool guy and you're in front of him so it's a very interesting moment for sure yeah i think i i awkwardly thanked him for everything and he, i think he was a little confused as to what i was talking about but yeah uh, i'm sure he yeah. gets that a lot <laughs> i'm sure well, cool. Well, I, I really appreciate you for taking the time out today to talk to me. Um, where can people find you if they want to further connect with you, uh, if they want to you know, get updates on things that you've been writing or, or thinking about? Uh, probably Twitter is the best outlet. Um, my handle is the Jake Grant. Oh, kind of like the real Donald Trump. Yes, almost like that. There you go. Well, well there's cool. a lot of Jake Grants in the world, so I have to be the Jake Grant. Very specific that you are the one, uh, <laughs> and, and all imposters are, are fake. Uh, yes. Well, maybe maybe we can get you that uh, that verification badge on Twitter. Hopefully that's coming soon <laughs> as well. Um, well, very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time, uh, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you one more time to Jay Grant, and thanks to all of you for listening and supporting Outset for the past four years. I'm going to miss you, but the good news is we don't have to be out of contact. Uh, here's the dealio, folks. I'm on Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins, uh, on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins. That is Stephen with a PH, because Stephen with a V are fake fans. Uh, you can also find Jay Grant at the 
Jay Krant. I almost said the real Jay Krant, but that's probably someone else. The Jay Krant. Uh, and you can, of course, um, find Outset for a few more weeks at uh, OutsetNetwork.com, at OutsetNetwork on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much. Please uh, don't be a stranger. God bless. Goodbye. Goodbye.